Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys to the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I was uh, looking at something this morning that I mentioned on this morning's show uh, that we did on Amos 4. And we got through that pretty well-timed, I think, to cover everything. There's a little bit more that we could have covered that were in the side notes, but you can go read them for yourself at uh, preparingyou.com. And... Uh, and uh, we'll have the recordings of the shows. We've got one and two up now, and three will go up shortly, and then we'll put up four, and we'll eventually get all the way to Amos. There's nine chapters to Amos. And I have a lot of the notes already on Amos, and of course, uh, in that, in dealing with Amos, we also link to Micah and Joel, because they were saying much of the same things. And they were telling you how you lock yourself out of the kingdom, how the kingdom ends up, if you do not follow the way, according to God, which is according to Abraham, according to Moses, according to Jesus Christ, because they're all saying the same thing, then you're going to find yourself against the righteousness of God, against the way of God. And uh, you will go into degenerating uh, society and decay as a community and fall apart and all kinds of bad things will happen. And, of course, that's why all kinds of bad things are happening now is because of the fact that we have been going in the opposite direction of the kingdom. We haven't been seeking righteousness but unrighteousness and the rewards of unrighteousness and it's gotten us into trouble. So, in uh, looking at that, we were talking about uh, this idea of uh, the keys to the kingdom that came across in a, in a topic during that discussion because we know, we should know how you lock yourselves away from the kingdom, how you shut the door of the kingdom. And it's because you pick up false doctrines and operate according to those false doctrines such as you suddenly think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. And that it is absolutely okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare at the point of a gun as long as you do it through government. Because all governments are of God. And you get that all governments are of God because of Romans 13, which actually says, let every man remain subject to the higher liberty, not government. Now, if you are subject to government, and we explain in the book, The Covenants of the Gods, how you become subject. And most of that is because you want the benefits of government. You want to eat at the table of government. And you want you you covet the benefits of government, even though you know that the only way you're going to get those benefits is that the government takes a bite out of your neighbor. I remember way back when I was seeing the movie, this is years ago, decades ago, uh, of um, Raising Arizona. And it was kind of a funny... Funny movie, a comedy movie, and uh, in it, uh, the guy gets his paycheck, and uh, the lady, uh, kind of oversized lady behind the counter smoking, I think, uh, hands him his paycheck, and he looks at it, and she says, the government, she do take a bite. And uh, he 
goes away looking kind of forlorn. But the point is, is the government's not taking that bite. It's your neighbor taking that bite because your neighbor wants these benefits and they want them at your expense. And you sign up for the same program because you want benefits at their expense. But actually, it's gotten to the point where if you don't sign up for their program, you can't get a job. You can't work anywhere. You can't make a living. Because everybody has gone into the bondage of Egypt. Everybody has returned to the bondage of Egypt. And there's almost, even though they could hire you, even though you don't have a number, they can't, they, they're afraid to, because that whole system operates on force and fear and fealty. And eventually you become a human resource, nothing more than merchandise. And they take and take and take and take and take, which of course the Bible tells you they will do. But you've already gone this way, your parents have gone this way, and your grandparents have gone this way, and the whole world has gone this way, and even the very elect would have gone this way, except by the grace of God. And so now we're telling you about how this all works. But this is not new. This is what happened in Ur, it's what happened in Haran, it's what happened in Egypt, it's what happened in Rome. It's what happened in Judea at the time of Christ. There Corbin was making the word of God to none effect because it was based on force, not love. It was based on men who exercised authority one over the other. And Christ said it wasn't to be that way with us. And with Christians, it wasn't that way for a thousand years and still actually not that way with Christians. But there's a lot of people going around who think they're Christians who just simply are not Christians. I'm not condemning them. I'm just saying they have need of repentance. But in the Bible still Jesus talked about the keys to the kingdom. And of course we know they gave them to the first pope, which is Peter, right? Except for Peter wasn't the pope. That You know, you don't even find the word pope except as it's actually a word that means father in uh, the Latin and, and Italian. But... Uh, you don't even find anybody being called the Pope. Peter was never called the Pope. Linus was never called the Pope. None of these guys who became bishops of Rome were ever called the Pope for quite a few years. And then finally they found the tomb of one of them. And on it there's an inscription to my Popa. And everybody says, see, they were using Pope even way back then. I think it was around 160 maybe even 200 A.D. or 300 A.D., and they said they were using the the title Pope. Well, not so. Uh, that inscription was actually from his son, who put an inscription on his tomb to my Pope, my father. It was his father. It was actually physically his father, because all, all the bishops of Rome were married, and many of them had children. That was common. There was none of the celibacy stuff at the beginning. At the beginning of Constantine's church, it was common to be, have celibates. Because you could get these really cool positions if you didn't have a family that was going to inherit them. Kind of like the concepts of the Vestal Virgins. Vestal Virgins did not get married, did not have children, they did not have relationships with men. And because of that, they were guaranteed a living all their life and provided for handsomely. But they were put in charge of of uh, keeping track of contracts and land contracts and loan contracts. And that's what they were doing. That was the government building. The Vestal Virgins were in charge of that. 
and uh, actually still you go into a lot of clerk offices and it's women in charge of all these things still to this day but uh, they're probably not virgins <laughs> but it was a big thing back then because they didn't want somebody in charge of those things to have obligations to their family so they left their family and the state took care of them so that's the way that worked but uh all the early church were married and had children because the governing factor of the kingdom of God was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the Holy Spirit in this guy or that guy, but it was the Holy Spirit in everybody. Because even though there was a righteous mammon, that was the money that was in what they called the corbanos, the funds of the church, those funds were usually laid upon individuals within the church. They were called ministers. And those ministers would gather together in congregations of ten. Because everybody gathered in congregations of ten. All the congregations were congregations of ten. Synagogues before them were in congregations of ten. Jesus commanded that people gather in congregations of ten. And fifties and hundreds and thousands. Because what they were doing was those ten ministers who served a hundred people... They would receive, each one of them would receive some funds from those people. Some funds or something of value, food, whatever. And it was their job to redistribute that wealth amongst the people according to their needs. And uh, if they did a good job, people gave them more. If they did a bad job, people gave them less. Or maybe didn't give them at all. So as we talked in Amos for this morning that talks about fat cows who are damaging the poor they, they're actually talking about the church but it was the church in the wilderness back then at the time of Amos which was the called out Levites who were to serve the tabernacles of the people and they had become fat cows or they had become slothful in their mission of practicing pure religion And so they were not, uh, and the people should have withdrawn their support. And then what would happen is the people who are not doing a good job would start doing a good job or they wouldn't get any support. So it's the individual choice of individuals. It's elder driven. The church has always been elder driven. Elders being the heads of families. So the keys to the kingdom is what you bind on earth. And what you, it is bound in heaven, what you loose on earth is loose in heaven. It will be recognized. It will be accounted for. That's what scribes mean, is actually accountants. They account for things. So if you, if you give to a minister, he's bound to use that for the purposes of Christ. You're not bound to give to him next time. Because it's a free will offering. But that's how you, you you bind yourself to Christ and the kingdom of God by being like Christ, following the way of Christ, which is a way of sacrifice. So when Peter was going to be given the keys to the kingdom, how, how did they come about to that conclusion that Peter should get the keys to the kingdom? Well, it's, it's really rather simple, is that uh, Jesus asked, Who am I, who am I, who am I, three times, and nobody could answer until Peter finally answered that he was the Son of God. That he was the righteous king of Judea, of Israel. 
And because he recognized that, he recognized that, not by the flesh and blood didn't reveal it, but my Father in Heaven revealed it. So, that flesh and blood is not the source, but a spiritual awakening, a spiritual revelation is the source. So, when you decide who to give to as a minister, it has to be by the grace of God, by that divine revelation. Because that was, that's what's going to make it the keys of the kingdom. That's what's going to unlock the door. Is that you hear the Holy Spirit and you act upon it. And maybe it's not about giving money to some particular minister, but giving your time to some particular project. Giving your time to some particular individual. Because you decided to share your time, your energy, and maybe your funds, your resources, with others. But you decided to, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be bound, just like that money or contribution is bound to the individual who receives it to be used for the purposes of Christ, you will also be bound to the purposes of Christ. And so that's the key. When you lay down your life, you'll be able to pick up your life more abundantly. If you don't lay down your life, well, don't expect to pick it up more abundantly. Well, another quote they have in the Bible that talks about the keys of the kingdom, that's all in Matthew 16, 19. And, and there, were, there was something that was going on before that, which is that, who am I, who am I, who am I, and nobody could answer. But eventually, Peter did answer. And he was right, because he was divinely inspired to know the answer. But if you go to Isaiah twenty-two twenty, you'll see, and it shall come to pass in that day, that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government unto his hands. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. But Jesus said, call no man father. So does this have anything to do with Jesus? In verse 22 he says, And the keys of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulders. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And then he goes on to say, And he shall be for the glorious throne of his father's house. So this is, this is to do with the keys to the house of, it actually says a key, it's singular, to, of the house of David. And of course, Christ was the highest son of David. And so, does this really have anything to do with Christ? Well, yeah, in a remote sort of way, it does. In the prophecy of Christ. But, Jesus said, call no man on earth father. So, how does, who is the father in the kingdom of God? Well, it's God the father. Father to us all. If we are obedient sons and daughters and listen to what he has to say. If we don't listen and if we don't go the way of God then we're going to be 
getting farther and farther from God. He goes on in verse 24, And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father, father's house, and offspring, and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups, even to the vessels uh, of flagons. In, the, in that day, it says, that the Lord of hosts shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall. The burden that was upon it shall be cut off for the Lord hath spoken it. So what are they talking about? Does this really have to do with the Messiah? Well, maybe in a roundabout sort of way, but this is the other quote that they go on. Um, they, they talk about the burden for Tyre and, uh, and from the land of Chittim it is uh, r- revealed to them. And it's very cryptic, but I don't really think it has anything to do with the keys to the kingdom. The key to the kingdom is doing the will of the Father. Seeking to do the will of the Father. Desiring to do the will of the Father. That's, that's the way it works. That's how it, it works. So, what we're seeing is this, uh, rationale that is coming from people that try to say that the keys of the kingdom have to do with Peter getting them and then the successors of Peter has the keys of the kingdom. So, for what purpose? To exercise authority one over the other, to bind people, to loosen people, or is that the key itself? Is what you bind on earth is bound in heaven? What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Anything more or less than that is is really not. You know, it's not like God is empowering Peter to dictate to us what to believe and what not to believe. It is the Holy Spirit that is to be the comforter. It is not the Pope. It is not your local pastor, priest, or pedestrian. It is the Holy Spirit that is to be your comforter. And so I read this this one document that somebody put up. It's called The Discussion of the Keys of the Kingdom. And it starts off with Matthew thirteen twenty. And uses that as the focal point of its dissertation. And they ask the question, uh, who was given this great honor? We all were. They're not putting one before the other. Uh, we're all given the knowledge that what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. What responsibility did this place upon the one who possessed these keys? It, well, we all have that responsibility. It's not about central responsibility and now he's got the keys so he's got the, this extra responsibility. That's projection. Now, it could mean something like that but that's not really what it means and there's no evidence really that that is what it means except for the people who want to believe that Peter was given some keys which we know Jesus gives to all the apostles later. He says, How far reaching was the message of the key holder? How could God place this much trust in man to proclaim the door opening message of how to get into the kingdom of God? How long was this key opening message to last? After the first key opening message was proclaimed, 
was there ever anyone else who given the keys to the kingdom? Did they have to use the exact same key as were used by the Apostle Peter? So these are these are the questions. He just goes on and on with these questions, but he assumes that Peter actually has some key power to exercise over other people. Yet, the very same Jesus says, it's not to be that way with us. He used to be greatest. is not the one with more power, but the one who serves. And, and that's the one who is greater, is the one who serves. But then, supposedly, Jesus takes this whole different track and he gives this power to one individual. To rule over what? Our conscience. To tell us what we can do and what we can't do. What is right and what is wrong. And that just doesn't make any sense. If others do not use the same key message that was first used, will it unlock the door to the kingdom of, uh, to God's kingdom? Well, Christ is the door. It's not an inanimate door. And Christ will send you the Holy Spirit if you will go the ways of Christ. If you will follow after the ways of Christ. With true sincerity and honesty. You can't just do it as an act of will. Now he goes on to say, you know, after asking all these questions, he goes on to say, now let's start our discussion beginning at Matthew 16, 13, 14 uh, verses. When Jesus came unto the disciples at Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do you men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, he just said that he's the Son of Man. In verse 14 he says, And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. So is he some sort of spiritual walk-in? Because he was around when John the Baptist was. As how is he also John the Baptist come back if he was baptized by John the Baptist? Well, anyway, you'll have to get into their theology where they can even figure this out. Some say you're Elias. And others, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah uh, or one of the prophets. Well, the whole thing with the transfiguration is kind of bizarre where you see Elijah and Moses and Jesus all there together as if they're conversing. But you can go into all kinds of depth into theological eschatologies and create all kinds of confusion by trying to think that somehow that is the point. The point is they didn't know. And it says we learn from these verses that there has not been a true identity given who Jesus really is. And that's true. John the Baptist didn't even know who Jesus really was. John the Baptist, and he says, this is the one who comes after me. He thought that he was going to be, Jesus was going to be his successor in the position that he held. Because they had moved the laver out to the Jordan River, and so now the new temple was out amongst the stars of heaven. And shortly before that, um, uh, 70 of the Sanhedrin walked out. Some of them stayed back, but most of them walked out. And so, 
Jesus appointed a new Sanhedrin. And John the Baptist said, you're the one that's going to come after me. But later on, he begins to think, like, you know, when he's in jail, like, like maybe he's the Messiah. And uh, he asks, he sends men to ask him. And Jesus doesn't tell. He says, go tell him what you see. You know, like the blind walking and the dead rising. So that's kind of a, kind of a tell that something's up with this guy. So, yeah, they didn't know who he was. And this guy goes on to say, I would like to say something before we read verse 16. We must not read this verse in a casual way. Because it is a major importance. Well, that's what he says. And, of course, I think they're all important. But he's trying to create some sort of emphasis on here. And he says, so now let's read verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the anointed one. That's what Christ means. And the son of the living God. And he wants to know how Peter knew this. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou Simon Barjona, because that's his real name. Now we must pay close attention to what Jesus says, so saith the author. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So anybody who starts to receive revelations of God in their heart and their mind, which is the ultimate goal according to Hebrew and according to Jeremiah even, we go back in the ancient scripture, and you're actually receiving that inspiration directly from God because His Holy Spirit is your comforter and writing upon your heart and your mind. Not some emotionalized religious service. So he asks, what have we learned? That is a major importance. And it goes on to say, let us be sure we get the full picture of what is now taking place. We have uh, have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Kind of a strange way of putting things, because uh, they're supposed to be all one, and of course now they're talking Trinity, and then that gets into opens up another whole can of worms. Because... While there is some sort of triunity in in the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of us, you know, even even Jesus said, "Ye are gods." So, what does they mean by that? You see, we, if we have a, a screwy view of what these words supposedly mean, we may be deceived in the use of them. Well, let, let's let's back up a little bit here. I, I I want to reveal some things to you, but I don't want to reveal everything. This one of the things that this guy is constantly mentioning, and I have a link if you go to our section on keys of the kingdom, and there's a, a link in there to the page where this guy writes all these things, and I write about what this guy is saying because. Uh, you know, there's this, he, he creates all kinds of confusion with his uh, opinions and misunderstanding. And so, when I read this, I mean, like, there's so many things that jump out at me, and like, which one do we address first? So, there's a link to the page, it, which is the churchofchristpreaching.com, but there, it gives this written lesson on the keys of the kingdom, and I found it so, so deceptively confusing. 
that I thought we'd go over some of it. So anyway, that's where you can find it. If you go to Preparing You, you can find that link under the talk section. But uh, he refers to uh, the coming kingdom of God to this earth. Well, that's a huge assumption that you've got some sort of theology that the kingdom of God is not at hand. And of course, the kingdom of God is at hand. It was at hand. Christ said, I'm, I'm going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees and I'm going to appoint it to another group, which he calls his little flock. And he says, it would be his good pleasure to appoint to the little flock a kingdom. That's, that's the kingdom. You can say, oh, no, 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 the kingdom is this other thing. But he's saying it's the kingdom. He's appointing the kingdom. He's taking it away from somebody else. So what is it? I mean, even Peter is saying, you know, he's he's doing contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, one Jesus. And Jesus says that he would not be with them again until he could eat with them in the kingdom. And then later on, after the resurrection, he's walking around and he's sitting and eating with them. Eating bread and honey and fish. So is he eating with them in the kingdom? He said he wasn't going to eat again until he was in eating with them in the kingdom and there he is eating with them. This idea that the kingdom was postponed because somehow or other God was taken off guard. No. Well, if kingdom wasn't postponed, it was actually there and helped those who would follow the ways of Christ through the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. It, it creates a, another whole scenario as about where we are in time. Because if the kingdom of heaven was at hand, and he said that, told them to go and wait in Jerusalem, and they waited in Jerusalem, and the next thing you know, the building is shaking, and there's fire appearing above their heads, and they're speaking in tongues, and they're going out and doing miracles. And they're told, telling you, this is the kingdom of God. It's there. But it said that because of this, that they would bind the devil for a thousand years. Now, all this is going on in the first century church, which by 67 uh, AD, Jerusalem is destroyed. The people are scattered. There's this huge dysphoria of the, of the uh, people of Israel. Okay, so where does that put us today? Well, if things fell apart in 1066 completely, I mean, Jerusalem was destroyed and uh, they pray it, it's not in the winter. You know, this is all supposedly part of Revelation. So where does that put us now? Well, supposedly we had the devil, the adversary of God, chained for a thousand years. What happened a thousand years after the fall of Jerusalem? Well, in 1066, the king rode in and created a different kind of government in England where he was king, but not only king, but he was the source of justice. He was going to end up setting up courts. He was going to end up setting up, you know, regulations and laws and all the people were back subject again. Same thing was going on over there in Germany with uh, Stephen and de Bullion, Philip de Bullion. They were all... The, these adversaries of freedom were rising up everywhere and putting down what they could call revolutions, but it was people resisting, thinking that every man should be remain subject to the higher liberty because all liberty was of God. And 
we've we've gotten away from that. So now there's supposed to be a thousand years of the reign of Satan, and then the destruction comes. Is that where we're at now? So where are we at in prophecy? You know, he goes on to say the kingdom of God on this earth is the same thing as Christ's church on this earth. Well, the church was the called out. See, this is where he fudges and kind of is pushing you to look at things a little different, a little different, a little different. Kingdom of God is at hand. Taken from the, uh, the, the Pharisees, appointed to the apostles. On earth, as it is in heaven. But a lot of the people didn't go that way. And so, was the church the kingdom of God? Well, the church is the ministers of the kingdom of God. They are the clerks of the kingdom of God. They are the clergy of the kingdom of God. I mean, if you if you say, well, I'm not religious, I don't go to church, I don't have anything to do with the clergy because there is no clergy. You got clergy anyway. Your clergy, your clerks of your kingdom are the people down at the IRS office and the Social Security office and the Welfare office and the Homeland Security office and and all these swarms of officers that are eating out your substance, but they are the ones who are in control. They are the clergy and priests of your society. Now, they don't operate by faith, hope, and charity. They operate by force, fear, and fealty. But that's they're playing that same role. Now, he goes on to say that this church which was the called out on earth was and and you can go back to the early church fathers you know uh, who were saying that the church took over the role of the Levites they didn't go out and pile up stones and burn up sheep but then again they weren't supposed to do that to begin with these are symbolic references to going out and choosing to how to take care of the needy of your society that's that. That's the kingdom of God. You're either doing it through faith, hope, and charity, or doing it through force, fear, and fealty. Most people have gone through the latter, and but their church is not the church established by Jesus Christ, but we can say fake church. So the kingdom of God is including, and we read it this morning in the legal definition of the church that the this. Uh, Kingdom of God, the church, the called out, he says, it's my good pleasure to appoint unto you a kingdom. He's talking to the called out. He's not talking to everybody. He's not going to appoint the kingdom to everybody. And you say, well, that doesn't super like they're, they're better than us. No. They just have a job. They have a job to do. Now, they can't do that job without you and the Holy Spirit. They have to have the Holy Spirit in them. They have to have the Holy Spirit in you. Otherwise, you won't give to them and give them the support they need to take care of the needy of society. So the church in the most general sense is this religious society founded and established by Jesus Christ to receive, preserve, and propagate His doctrines and ordinances. In order to propagate His doctrines and ordinances, they have to know them. And they have to be His. It can't be other dog. You can't change those. It's also supposed to, that's in the most general sense. It's also the body, the corpus, or community of Christians. Well, the congregations of the community of Christians, the corporate nature of the church is 
the Levites, the ministers, who had to give up everything they owned as a personal estate and own all things in common. Because they're a body. This is one of the things that is coming up. Like I told people this morning, I read the Patriot Act. I also read a lot of other acts to do with banking and everything else. And a question would come up if the religious order had a bank account. The question would come up as who is the beneficial interest holder of the account? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? Is this really a common fund? Well, none of those guys can be U.S. citizens. They have to be separate. They have to belong to Christ. And you have to have evidence that they belong to Christ. And that, of course, is why Christ says you have to sell everything you have and own all things in common. That's just for the ministers. He's not starting a communist state. He's separating the people out just like the Levites came out of the Walden camp. They came out without anything. But then they went back in and stood by the doors. So the Walden camp would not be walled in anymore. So this body, which is the called out, and the community, the congregations of the people, are united under one form of government, a government that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You have the liberty to decide who you're going to give to, and he has the liberty of deciding what you empower him to give. He exercises authority over what is freely and totally given to him. And you exercise authority over what you're going to give him tomorrow. So you're going to police him by your mere presence. So you will want to please him in a righteous sort of way. So anyway, this this government, by the profession of one faith and the observance of the same rituals and ceremonies. So, anyway, that's basically the definition, but if we go back to his uh, fumbling, trying to explain the keys to the kingdom and understand what that's all about, he has in here, there is no way that I can overemphasize the importance of this meeting. Some of these things are the twelve apostles needed to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the Son of the living God. But Jesus also said to them, Ye also are gods. What do you mean by that? What does it mean to be the Son of the living God? God is, you know, you have your opinion of what is right or wrong. I have my opinion of what is right and wrong. The Supreme Court has its opinion of what is right and wrong. But God's opinion is the truth by the very nature of being God. So what it amounts to is that the apostles needed to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ was one with God's opinion. So Christ's opinion was God's opinion. Jesus' time on earth was short. I don't know why that's so important, but it was. He did say that he had to go away so that you could grow. You're not going to grow well in his shadow. You have to kind of go out and separate yourself. Jesus' days on this earth in the flesh were numbered. Well, that's kind of what he said in number two. His life was short. So he's just he's just creating kind of artificial numbers here. No one on this earth knew all things about Jesus. Well, that seems to be true. 
then uh, he goes on in number four, no one on this earth knew all things about Jesus. Who was going to carry on the work that Jesus had started? And that's the question. And who was going to receive the keys of the kingdom? Well, he's putting these projections in there, these questions in there. They're not in the original thing. He's just saying that that's what it is. So we can easily see this was a major event that we are reading about. Well, it's a major point where Jesus is making that the keys of the kingdom is what you bind on earth is bound also in heaven. It's accounted for in heaven. So if you... If if somebody here is working for the devil, belongs to the devil, and you sell yourself to him for benefits, then you belong to the devil. Wow. Because what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. If you make yourself a slave to Egypt, if you're in bondage to Egypt, then you're in bondage to Egypt, and God will treat it that way. This is why the Levites were called out and they would have no personal estate because the Levites are mine. They're bound to God. Now, there were clearly Levites who were not doing the right thing. Barnabas was one of them. He was known as Hoses. And he decided to do the right thing. And the very first thing he does is sell the property he owns and lays the money at the foot of the apostles and begins to own all things common. So, that, and they also go on, number seven is the souls of all men were lost at this time. Well, there needed to be, you see, that what happened to all the people that were in the grave and suddenly come out of the grave and they're saved? What happened to Elijah who was taken up in a fiery chariot? What what are you trying to prove with all this? Well, before that he says, At this time, God had not made any provision for man to get eternal forgiveness of his past sins. Yet when they asked Jesus, How will I obtain eternal life? He says, You know the law, the commandments, keep them. That's pretty simple. Hebrews 10.4 goes on to say, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Well, that's true. It isn't the blood of the bulls and goats. It's sacrifice. And it doesn't take away sin. It's recompense. The sin still remains, but the, the consequences of those sins are begin to be lifted. We live in this cause and effect universe. If you want the consequences of desiring to have a king, a president, a prime minister to be done away with, you're going to have to spend more of your time seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Uh, the guy does go on to say God had set a law in effect from the very beginning of time that the law was called the law of sin and death which you find in Genesis 2.17, which simply means sin one time and you were separated from God supposedly forever. Well, then why do we see so many places in the Bible where people sinned and then God forgave them? Why, Why is that? Now, I don't want to diminish the purpose of Christ or what he was doing, but the reality is, is that we aren't necessarily separated from God simply because you sin one time. It's You're separated from God because you don't repent. 
Adam sinned. He did not admit it. He didn't fall down and say, Lord, Lord, I have sinned against you. It's my fault. I will suffer the consequences. No, he said, it's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. He blamed it on God and the woman. As long as you aren't going to confess your sin, because that's a part of the thing too, you know, openly, you don't have to go to a confessional, but confess, yeah, I screwed up. I made a mistake. Until you do that, your sin remains. This is what Jesus is talking about. You're not confessing your mistakes, so your sin remains. He's showing you the way, and he is opening a door, and he is a door. But he's drawing conclusions, and you can clearly see that he's putting words in the mouth of the Bible. Because they say this little thing, and he's adding so much more. And yet, the Bible is really simple. You know, the Ten Commandments is really simple. They're guidelines. They're guideposts. He's saying that somehow other God just reversed law because Jesus died on the cross. What Jesus is doing is showing you the end sample. If you lay down your life for your fellow man and for his sake, you alter your circumstances. And Christ was showing you the way. Now, you don't have to jump on a grenade, but you have to care about others. You have to, you know, he says meetings are important. Well, yeah, you have to care enough to show up. Not for what you can get out of it, but what you may be able to bring to others. That's spirit of service. He goes on saying a lot of things. He said, yet at the time, God had made no provision for man to receive eternal forgiveness of his sins. Eternal forgiveness, if we look that up, are we going to find that phrase somewhere in the Bible? Eternal forgiveness? Well, I I see eternal life. We have an article up on eternal life. But like I said, he said, if you want eternal life, you know the commandments, keep them. Of course, you can't keep them. But it's it's the journey, it's the striving to keep them that's going to make the difference. He says, we can truly say this is when heaven and earth came together to begin laying the groundwork for the coming of the kingdom of God upon the earth. It was there already. You don't need the kingdom of God to come on earth. You need the kingdom of God to come into your heart. And it won't come into your heart if you're still whoring after all these other ideologies and philosophies that mean you don't have to change in order to be changed. And people just don't realize that. Did God at this time choose all 12 apostles to deliver this key message first to the Jews and then also deliver the same key message to the Gentiles? We must not read into Matthew sixteen seventeen more than it says. This guy's doing it all the time. We can read in many commentaries where men say that these keys were given to all 12 of the apostles. They were given to you because the key is what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. If you forgive your neighbor his trespasses, you can be forgiven. If you refuse to forgive your neighbor, your brother your friend, your enemy, even his trespasses, then you cannot be forgiven. You forgive that ye may be forgiven. That's cause and effect. It's built in. If you are coveting your neighbor's goods, making your neighbor a human resource for what you want, you will become a human resource. So, yeah, the keys of the kingdom are for everybody. And those are the keys of the kingdom. 
And and the way of Christ requires sacrifice. It's built in. It's going to require. It's not that you're earning it. It just requires sacrifice. So he has another question here. He says, is that what Jesus said in verse 17? And he says, if we read verse 17 again with our minds open or ready to channel or whatever he thinks to what Jesus says, we will then know there was no meeting between the twelve apostles because Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. That's a huge leap. Flesh and blood means that you did not figure this out yourself. It's not by the knowledge of men. It's not by the cranking of your brain that you figure this out. It's revelation. And that's it. It's that for everybody. He goes on, please notice this is the a positive statement from Jesus. Why can't we accept that? Jesus gives us the answer to that question in John 8.43. Jesus says, Why do you not understand my words? It is because you cannot hear my words. Well, no. Well, that's true. But why does why why is that an answer to what he says? You you he always says you have to have ears to hear. Well, those are spiritual ears. And you know, I can tell you what the truth is. You know, I might be telling you, I might be wrong. But if I was vocalizing the truth, that doesn't mean you understand the truth. It understands what I am vocalizing, the words that I'm saying. Which may be the truth, but they're not the whole truth. You cannot put the whole truth into a bottle anymore. You can put a genie in a bottle. He says, let's get this verse into our hearts. There is not a more important verse in the entire Bible. He says, than this one, when it comes to understanding what is truth. Well, what's important, you can't get the truth from the Bible. You only get the truth from the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way it's going to get into your heart. It's not by endless repetitions. He says, what is wrong with Linsky's statement? Linsky's statement came from his own flesh and blood. Jesus says, Peter's statement did not come from his flesh and blood. Well, actually the statement did, but what he was trying to impart, the information he was trying to impart, he learned through Revelation. And we have to learn to do everything through revelation. That is part of the keys of the kingdom. And part of the keys to learning to do everything by revelation is to have a humble heart. And don't think that you're saved already because you said the magic word. So, if we uh, go on and read some of the other stuff he says, I'm skipping over some of it. Remember now, we are reading with an open mind. We know from verse 18, well, not really that open, We know from verse 18 that Jesus' words are directed straight to the Apostle Peter. Listen carefully to what Jesus says. I say unto you, Peter, upon this rock. What rock? Peter? I will build my church. No. Upon the rock of knowing, not by flesh and blood, but by spiritual revelation. That's the rock of your knowing. That's how you know what is true and what is not. Now, you may think you know, but then does it lead you to keep the commandments? 
If it doesn't, then you don't know. You're just fooling yourself. You believe a lie. So he goes on with other questions. Is there any way to misunderstand these words of Jesus unless we have help from man? We must remember that Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true, but every man is a liar. Well, that's true. So there's lots of ways to misunderstand that. And of course, all the Catholics misunderstand it because they think that somehow or other, because Peter has the keys to the kingdom, Peter gets to tell you what is good and evil. And now you have a Pope telling you that lots of things are okay that used to be considered evil. No. It's only by divine revelation that you will actually know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, anyway, but we're coming up on the end of the program. I didn't get all the way through it. Didn't think I would. But uh, until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.